Father in heaven, Lord, so we're so thankful that we can still connect through technology and it's not the same. And that's why you came down here. You came and lived among us. You dwelt among us. You grew up, you lived, you died, you rose again, you're coming again. But today we come as close as we can to one another, but we're also aware of the, of the, uh, the quarantines that were in your day and that were in the Old Testament and throughout Christian history. And we recognize the uh, public health issues. So um, give wisdom to the leaders of our nation, to public health officials across this country and on this campus and uh, in any location where people are listening or watching now. And draw near us as well. Draw near also those that are struggling with COVID-19. I think of Dr. Hamill, just got a text there in uh, Michigan, a faithful servant of yours for many years. We uplift him and many others that are suffering. And Lord, we just ask that you'd send the angels to draw near. And we, you've promised if we confess your name among men, which we do right now. We confess that you are the Christ. We confess that we believe in you. We confess that you are our Savior, our Master, and our friend. We confess you, that you promise to confess our name before the angels um, or before the Father, that you'll confess our name before the Father, and then he can also send the angels that are ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. So we do ask that those ministering spirits, those angels would surround each home and each heart as we open your word in Christ's name. Amen. COVID-19 and the Laodicean message. I um, want to just talk a little bit more. Some people are saying, man, can we talk about something else but COVID-19? Yeah, we can when, when it's over. Um, but right now, there's a lot of people hurting. There's a lot of people that are wanting information. There's a, a lot of people searching the Word of God like they never did before. And as I thought about this, I realized that the fear of this deadly virus that's gripped the world, continues to grip the world. In some places where it looked like it went away, now the numbers are increasing again. It appears that there's a second wave. <coughs> and we are crying out to God, we need help. What can be done? That's what people are saying. Now, we want to flatten the curve. Um, I've been enjoying listening to the almost daily or weekly um, instruction that Dr. Roger Schwelt has been giving. And uh, this last week, Dr. Nedley and Dr. Sweld and some others were on a special program that looked at what can be done, what can you do, can, what can we do uh, to address this pandemic. And they looked at the different phases, the phase be, before there's an infection, and then there's a phase five days after infection to when you have symptoms. You don't even feel that bad, nobody knows, but you're passing the virus, that's why it's an unusual quarantine situation where they're asking people that look otherwise healthy to stay home. Um, and people are getting very antsy about that, by the way. And then seven days later, many times there is an admission to the hospital. People get worse. They have shortness of breath and they have adult respiratory distress syndrome, perhaps and in the ICU and they go on a ventilator. And, and so this is kind of the progression and what can be done? Well, the one idea is we need to get more ventilators. We've got to get more personal protective equipment, medication, and maybe develop a, a vaccine. And one of the things though we've been talking about and what Dr. Schwelt was talking about is another thing we can do before we go to the hospital is to increase or robust our immune system. 
the immune system. Instead of having 20% go to the hospital, maybe have 15%. Have 85% of people that are able to push that away. And if you would like information on that, go to our website, tciwemar.com. A whole bunch of videos there. Or newstart.com. They have them on a playlist there as well. And follow that as well on how what you can do now. And also this next week coming out is a new set of videos on hydrotherapy that's narrated by Dr. Nedley. That's going to help you as well. So this is coming up. We're trying to help you at this particular time what you can do. Now, in a uh, journal in the Seventh-day Adventist Church called the Adventist Review, April 17, good is not the enemy of the perfect, enhancing our toolkit against COVID-19. You'll notice there that it says in the byline that on Easter Sunday, April 12th, there was a special presentation this last week, Health Ministries of the General Conference, Your Best Pathway to Health, which we were supposed to have a big event in Indianapolis that we canceled. And then it says, Weimar Institute, Lifestyle, Lifestyle Health Education, and others. Dr. Nedley was on this symposium, and it was watched by many people from many different walks of life. And then it said this, what could hydrotherapy play a role? Lessons from Adventist institutions during the pandemic. And it looks at, you know, uh, different institutions. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But basically, it's talking about the idea of having hot and cold treatments. And I thought, what about the Laodicean message is connected to hot and cold? It says, I wish that you would be hot or cold. And I want to look at that spiritual connection in a minute, but first of all, reviews the physical connection because, you know, we're told that our sermon should have a large element of practicality, right? And so I want to talk a little bit about the hot and cold, just in case you missed that symposium. What they're discovering is that fever and thermal regulation of immunity actually is helpful. If you have a fever within certain parameters, which I'll cover a little bit later, it actually helps cook out cook away the things that are harming you. You need to turn up the heat. The presence of fever in adults with influenza and other viral respiratory infections, it has been shown back in 2016 to be efficacious or something that's effective. Fever management, evidence versus current practice. This particular article from 2012 says that fever exerts an overall adverse on the growth of bacteria and the replication of viruses. In other words, fever limits bacterial growth. Fever limits virus replication. That virus gets in that little fat thing that covers it. It gets in there. It hooks into your cells. It starts to replicate using that. And when you have a fever, it helps stop that. I would that you be hot. Hot. The Bible says it, and we're looking now physically at that. It also stimulates the immune system. When you have a fever, the, the body knows, wait a minute, something's happening. I need to get the T cells. I need to get the WBCs, the white blood cells, the T helper cells, the T killer cells, the B cells a little bit later. I need to get them all engaged. And this happens when your fever is between 104 and 104 Fahrenheit. So, when you have that fever that goes up to them, this is what it says. Now, I'm not making medical recommendations. Although I'm a, I'm a nurse, I, I'm, I'm, I'm under a doctor's orders, right? So, I'm not making a medical, uh, you know, 
recommendation right now, but you might want to check it out. You might want to check out the fact that a fever at certain levels is not all bad. And this is why you have a fever, to actually take care of the pathogens. And by the way, they looked at the viral load yield as a function of temperature. This was looking at the polio virus. And you notice there, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, that's centigrade. That's going up to about 104 degrees. Notice what happens. The lower the temperature, the more viral load. But the higher the temperature, it starts knocking out those viruses. Very interesting. The heat is helpful. Then notice here, same thing with the polio virus in this particular paper, shows that when the heat, you know, is not kept at that level, like up there it says 37, the virus starts to, the load starts to come back. And so actually heat helps do in the virus. Temperature regulates NF uh, 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 alpha or uh, What's that? Kappa, kappa beta dynamics that functions through the timing of the A2 transcriptions. What's that mean? The, uh, these natural killer cells, um, or rather these proteins, they help regulate gene expression and the production of certain immune cells. So they're like the precursor to the cells. And they've noticed that these um, NK kappa B activity tends to slow down the lower the body temperature is. But when the body temperature is elevated, over the usual 37, point, uh, 37 degrees uh, centigrade or 98 point cents Fahrenheit, it tends to become more intense. So if your fever goes up a bit, it's like says, wait a minute, make more of those cells, make more of those, those natural killer cells, make more of those things that are needed to fight off the virus or the infection. How many think that we need heat? All right, not many hands today. How about there at home? Raise your hands. <laughs> Maybe text me. Say, I hear you, Pastor Don, or send me an email. I'll, do, I'll put my phone up here. I want to just feel like there's somebody out there. I feel like I'm talking to myself today. But, yeah, just go ahead and text me. Send me some love, okay? So, yes, we want to have that temperature go up. Now, that's hot. I would that you be hot. All right? Now, what about cold? What about cold? Well, the research continues. The effect of cold showering on health and work, a randomized controlled trial. They discovered that after you have that heat, you, if you follow it with cold. Now, how many of you have just started doing this now because of COVID-19? Look, my wife, she's sitting there laughing at home. She's with the family. They're laughing. They're pushing each other right now because they know what I'm going to say. I never wanted to do this. She'd always like, I'm in the shower. She goes, why don't you end with cold? I'm like, that would be the end for sure. And I would never do it because I like heat. Now, by the way, heat... Heat does, heat, just, to, just for you, dear, heat does stimulate a lot of natural killer, you know, production and stuff. So we just covered the research. So you know, I was doing well. But she would get in the shower, you know, and then at the end of her shower it would be cold. And I always knew it was cold because she kind of screams a little bit. Ah, like that. Because there's this big, huge chain. I know it's too much information. But how many of you have ever taken a shower? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, and I just didn't want to go through that pain. But in this situation, <laughs> this situation... I now have joined my wife. The only thing I don't do is scream. I, I am very manly about it. It comes on, I turn it on, it's very cold, it hits the nap of my neck. It's supposed to hit right about here, right here, and then down, right? Try it for five seconds, 10 seconds, build up to about 30, 40, 50, 60, 90 seconds. Notice what it says here, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. 
and 30 consecutive days. Now, when you do that, notice what happens. There is a 29% reduction in this particular study of absence from work because of sickness. Look at that. I mean, people after this thing, that if you ever get to go back to work, which we hope you do, your employer's going to say, take a cold shower before you come in, a hot and cold shower. They're maybe going to put that in their policy books because this is so powerful. Now, here's another study. Immune changes in humans during cold exposure, effects of prior heating and exercise. This study suggests that despite popular beliefs that cold exposure can precipitate a viral infection, they have found that that's not true. A fall in core body temperature led to consistent, notice this, consistent mobilization of circulating cells. So you get the cells in circulation first, right? They got to get out there. You ever heard the story about Oliver Cromwell when he was Lord Protector? And he said, you know what? We need more money. We need more help for the church. And he says, we, we don't like these idols in the churches anyway. Let's get the saints into circulation. So they took the saints and they melted them down and they put them into the circulation. I don't know if that's a good plan now, but we need some money in circulation now, amen? So that's what he did. And that's what the body needs to do. Secondly, as those cells were in circulation, remember how those, the hot gets the natural killer cells out there and starts them active. But sometimes there's some natural killer cells that are kind of lingering on the sidelines. They're just, they're not doing what they should do. And the cold somehow shakes and stimulates them and they're like, they get into the fight. How many think you need everything fighting against the possibility of any kind of virus, infection, bacterial disease, or pathogen? All right, give me some love, folks. Text me, let me know that you're listening here because it's kind of hard. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you, dear. Message sent with fireworks. Great. Good. Ooh, boom. Uh, thank you. Okay. I, I see that you love me. All right. Keep them coming. Secondly, an increase in NK cells. I mean, it's hard to preach to nobody, but I feel the love here. Secondly, not only is there an increase in NK cells, but there's white blood cells and granulocytes and monocytes begin to respond. Dr. Gallant, covered this with me the other day on one of our total community immunity videos and these granulites come out and these monocytes come out those monocytes then are made into into uh what is it dr k is here uh, uh, uh macrophages that's it the monocytes he gave me the thumbs up our technological levite he gave me the heads up and <laughs> Those macrophages, they're the ones that are like, kind of, remember that old Pac-Man, that game? They come and they just, and they begin to eat stuff. I know we didn't have a children's story, so I'm trying to make it interesting for the kids. And they eat those things. And this is what happens when you not only have hot, but you have what? I would that you be hot and cold. Physiologically, this is true. Now, let's move to the spiritual lesson for today. I hope I have your attention. The Laodicean condition. We just read the Laodicean message. Now, in the book of Revelation, there's a, there's a certain number of sevens. And the first seven is the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, all these different churches. Going down to Laodicea, the last church, before Christ comes. Laos means people. Decea means to judge. This is the judged people. The hour 
Fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment is come. One way to read that text in Revelation 14, verse 6, is that Christ is on trial. The judge is on trial. The Bible says the father judges no man, but has put all judgment in, in the hands of the son, right? And so one thing is to look at, at him and look at what he's doing, what he's done. And there's a certain truth to that. But there's also a truth that God also is a judge. Now let me ask you a question. Um, well, let me, before I ask that question, um, let me just go through this. Remember we had phase one infection, phase two symptoms, phase three admission, worse shortness of breath, then ARDS, then that, which is adult respiratory dis- distress syndrome, and then intensive care unit. And usually they're asymptomatic, even though they're nearly terminal. As I've read the reports from Italy, as I've read the reports from New York, as I've read the reports from around the country, these people that are getting COVID-19, they actually have a very low oxygen saturation before they even know it. They're talking, and then suddenly, boom, they are dead. And that's what makes this so troubling. They're like, what in the world? All these symptoms, we never picked up on it. And that's why you have to be aware of things before. And this is the problem with Laodicea. They are rich and they're increased with goods, the Bible tells us. And, and, and they don't realize that they have a real problem going on. They are wretched, poor, pitiful, naked, and blind, and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. They don't even realize that. And then, not only that, they're about to be vomited out. They're about to be destroyed. Now, how many can see the parallel, the small parallel between, you know, what we're experiencing physically in the nation and spiritually here with Laodicea? And they don't seem to realize it. Amazing. Now, look at this interesting quotation from an early Adventist pioneer, Ellen White, also claimed to have the prophetic gift. And uh, I think... Uh, as we read these things, you'll see that she did. The restraining spirit of God is even now being withdrawn from the world. Hurricanes, storms, tempests, fire, flood, disasters by sea and land follow each other in quick succession. Science, mark this well, science, what's it say? Science seeks to explain all these. How many of you have heard that on the news? We've got to have double-blind tests. We've got to have triple-blind tests. We've got to be, everybody's got to be blind to make sure we test this right. So you have all these double-blind, placebo-studied tests and all this stuff, right? We can't do anything until science tells us to do something, right? Now, I'm all for science. By the way, without the scriptures, without the scriptures, there would not be science because science originated from chapters like Daniel 1. Daniel 1, where it said, test your servants for 10 days to see whether or not... You know, they're fair and, and flesh and all those different things, right? And that was actually a scientific study. In fact, the New England Journal of Medicine and other people have noticed that actually that's the oldest scientific study. So science actually came out of Scripture. We just lose track of that. When did we lose track of that, by the way? I was reading a book this last week, and it was tracing where it was that the ministry got separated from the physicians. And you know when it happened? The French Revolution happened in 1793 to 1798 right then. And that's when they separated between one another. But they never were like that before. You think about science, basic science. You think about the father of physics. Who is that? Isaac Newton. You think about the father of chemistry. It's probably also Isaac Newton. He was doing something behind the scenes. You think about the father of of, of bacteriology and understanding microbiology, and it's Louis Pasteur. And he was a 
Christian. All these different people, I could keep going with that. But the point is, science without God, you might say, seeks to explain all this. The signs are thickening around us, telling of the near approach of the Son of God, and they're attributed to anything other than the true cause. Well, what's the true cause? Men cannot discern the sentinel angels restraining the four winds, that they shall not be blown until the servants of God are sealed. But when God shall bid his angels loose the winds, there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. Look with me in Revelation chapter 7. Let's read that as to what's happening. Revelation chapter 7, and let's look at the first four verses. Revelation chapter 7. Those of you here, give me some love by making me know that you're looking up stuff. I know that it's easy to uh, just be technological Levites here. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of earth, that the earth should not blow, that the, rather the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And I saw another angel. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. So look at this. Men cannot discern, our quote says, Men cannot discern the sentinel angels restraining the four winds, that they should not blow until the servants of God are being sealed. So what does this mean? When you see a pestilence, when you see a plague, I'm not saying this is one of the seven last plagues. Watch my sermon on COVID-19 and the seven last plagues. I'm not saying this is one of the seven last plagues, but it certainly is a pestilence. I'm going to agree that it's a pestilence. That's a pestilence. And why did that happen? Well, whenever the Lord is not defending you, whenever the angels are not around you, whenever you're not a- asking for their protection, um, you are vulnerable and and, and that's what's happening in this particular text in Revelation 7. But there's something that triggers that. What triggers it? The fact that there are some saints that are being sealed. Can you say amen? So there are somebody, somewhere, doing something right. And at the end, get this phrase. At the end, say it with me. The sealed will be revealed. Can you say that with me? The sealed will be revealed. There will be a revival and reformation of true godliness, and the sealed will be revealed. They'll be patient. They'll be obedient. They'll have the face of Jesus. They're not going to get upset easily. They're not going to get all up in, up in a dither about anything. They're going to be cool. They're going to be calm. And they're going to be helpful to other people at the end of the time. How many of you want to be a part of the sealed that are being revealed? Okay, let's go on in our quote. Very interesting quote. Now look at this. Those, look at this, seriously, look at the screen. Here it is. To those who are indifferent at this time, Christ's warning is this. Because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will do what? I will spew you out of my mouth. There it is. There's the hot and cold treatment. But notice what it says next. Maybe read it with me. They're on the screen if you're at home, so I know you're listening. Read it with me. The figure of spewing out of his mouth means that he cannot offer up your prayers or your expressions of love to God. What? 
Did you hear that? If you are not what? Hot or cold, he cannot offer up your prayers or expressions of love to God. So this is a serious business. Just like I said about the physical issue of hot and cold being serious because it helps you fight off things. Prayer is the breath of the soul. Prayer is the breath of the soul. And when you're not hot and you're not cold, you have no breath. And the church, Laodicean church here, is pictured as having severe shortness of breath. How many of you are following me? He cannot endorse your teaching of his word or your spiritual work in any wise. He cannot present your religious exercise with the request that grace be given you. Do I have your attention? This got my attention. We need to be hot or cold. I talk to people, they say, well, you know, being cold, that sounds bad. No, 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 no. In the text, lukewarm is what's bad. And we're going to look at that in a minute. We're going to look at that in a minute. I remember talking with Elder Gilly about this. If you're watching, Jim, text me. But I remember talking with Pastor Gilly. And he said, you know, we need hot drinks and we need cold drinks. And he got me thinking. I go, what's he talking about? Because the Laodicean message says we need hot drinks and we need cold drinks. And I thought, I don't know. I don't know, you know. I don't know. I'm not. But I studied this out. Finally, I took the time. And I studied out hot throughout the whole Bible and cold throughout the whole Bible. Now, could the curtain be rolled back? She continues. In other words, we need to be hot or cold. When we're not hot or cold, what happens? Our prayers are not ascending. Our ministry is not effective. Could the curtain be rolled back? Could you discern the purposes of God and the judgments that are about to fall upon a doomed world? Could you see, notice, notice this, look, look at this. Could you see your own attitude? How many of you have noticed anything about your attitude over the last few weeks during the COVID crisis? How many of you have noticed something about the attitude of others? Could you see your own attitude, you would fear and tremble, for your own souls and for the souls of your fellow man? Earnest prayers of heart-rending anguish would go up to heaven. So what should you be doing right now if there's a pestilence, if there's a plague? Earnest prayers of heart-rending anguish would go up to heaven. You would weep between the porch and the altar. What does that mean? That's a sanctuary metaphor, isn't it? Between the porch and the altar, confessing your spiritual backsliding. So what would you do if you want to get hot or cold? You've got to go to the sanctuary to figure that out. You've got to go to the porch and the altar. How many of you want to go to the sanctuary with me? Want to go there? Let's look and see what happens. Now, before we go there, oh, good. Good to hear from you, the Ramirez family. Escamilla, I'm glad you're watching in. Esther, look, you've got fire next to your thing. Very good. Watch out. Todd and Patty, good. Temperature is good up there. Okay, Josh, amen. All right. Hey, spread the love, guy. Thank you so much. The seal will be revealed. Thank you. Amen. So, okay, we're back now. Um, let's look at this. The judgments of God are about to fall. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you the question that was asked by this editorial by the leader of a, of a uh, I think it's a Presbyterian uh, seminary. Is this a judgment? Is the world under judgment? Was the question of this minister. Not of uh, the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. This is another denomination. Is the world under, um, under judgment? That's the question that 
he's asking. And let me just read to you. I took some notes on the article, but I didn't put them on the screen. Listen to this. Is the world under judgment? Is COVID-19 a kind of pestilence that Yahweh warns when he says through Jeremiah that Judah will be plagued by the sword, famine, and pestilence? It's hard to read it any other way, he says. And then he gives his reasons. Our city streets are silent. There's no longer the voice of the bridegroom or the voice of the bride, not even the wailing of a funeral dirge. Jeremiah 7.34 Many merchants have closed their doors and the shops of many craftsmen have gone quiet. The music of harpists and musicians and flute pyres has stopped. Concert halls and theaters throughout the world are empty. Revelation 18.21-24 Cities are, and, are soundscapes and silent cities are cities under Lord's discipline in Scripture. Churches too are soundscapes and places of assembly. Now they're empty and still We should ponder the possibility, he writes, that the Lord has had enough of our trampling on his courts and so has put an end to our new moons and our feast days. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10 through 15. How many of you are understanding what he's saying? He's asking the question, is this a judgment of God? Then he says this. That's pretty good. Listen to this. Some will say, the virus didn't do all this. The response to the virus did. My friends in Michigan, the governor did it. My friends in California, the governor did it. My friends other places, Donald Trump did it. My friends other places, the Democrats did it. The Republicans did it. Or maybe in China, the black people did it. They're shutting down the restaurants for black people. Prejudices are coming out. People are pointing fingers at each other. People that sneeze, just near here, someone sneezed. The neighbors called the police. That's an act of terrorism. Judgments are being made. Pestilence and shutdown has produced a situation that looks awful like a judgment, he continues, of biblical proportions. And then this part of the article got me, and I want to share it with you. But why, he he, he asks. One part of the, the answer to the question is to clarify what judgment means. What does judgment mean? Judgment includes punishment for sin, but... As my colleague explains, the author writes, it also involves, get this, important point, it involves unmasking, exposure, testing, and clarification. God judges to uncover what's hidden at the bottom of things. So sometimes a judgment is given not to destroy, not a final judgment, but to reveal what's underneath. The the word revelation is apocalypse, Apocalypsis means the revealing. Let me ask you a question. Has the last three weeks or so revealed anything about people in this country? Has it revealed anything about your own life? Has it revealed anything in your life? Has it? What's it revealed? One of the Levites here is, 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 is kind of slipping on me. What has it revealed? Anything? What about you? Has it revealed anything? What's it revealed? I've only had the frozen chosen here, a few of them, and I'm trying to thaw them out. Okay, what, what's, it, what's it mean? Okay, we need to be able to grow our own food. Um, yeah, and that's not going to happen quickly, is it? Final movements will be rapid ones, and, and they're out of food now, right? So, we, so, but in the future, maybe you need to be able to grow your own food, be a little less dependent. Anything else? What else are you learning from this? Anything else? What's being revealed 
have any of you seen an area of your life that's been revealed where you or your family, either physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, are not prepared? Did you have enough toilet paper? No. Did you have enough masks? No. Did you have enough oatmeal? No. Did you have, whatever it is, have you, has anything been revealed where you realize you're not ready? You were not ready for this. If you would only know two weeks before, if I only would have known that, right? So then he goes through the article. I don't mean to preach his sermon here, his thing, but I'll just tell you about it. You know what he does next? He says, I think it may be a judgment, and then he goes through all the Ten Commandments in his article. He says, idols are being revealed, non-essentials, movies, sports, celebrities, the image of God, the idolatry that's taking the place of God in, in our lives is being revealed. We're taking his name in vain. We have the name of Christianity, but live as though he doesn't exist. And then he says this, number four, we have a 24-7 economy, and we don't have a Sabbath. We need a Sabbath. I wonder what day he's probably going to choose eventually. But he's thinking about, why don't we bring the Sabbath back? The elderly, we, we seem to want to protect them, but do we really honor them? Thou shalt not kill. How can we as a nation say that we're keeping that? We have abortions, we have wars, we have innocent blood. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He stops. What about our sexual norms? What about our purity? What about the biblical definition of marriage? Has our nation begun to jettison all those things? And could God be allowing us to experience a pestilence to wake us up? that we're rejecting his law? Or could he wake us up to reveal those who are keeping his law? In other words, are we living in a time when God wants to have the sealed be revealed? Are you in the process of being sealed? Are you ready to be revealed? That's the picture. Here's the God's diagnosis of Laodicea. You're under judgment. Laos, the people, under judgment. You have the virus of sin. It's not outside the church. It's inside your church. You don't recognize the infection. You're unwisely isolating yourself indoors from others, with others who are infected. So you got this Laodicea. They're all together. They're inside. And they're all infecting each other with Laodiceanism. They're not hot. They're not cold. Their prayers are going nowhere. Their ministry means nothing. And yet they think it means something. This is a bad situation. How many things is a bad situation? Very bad situation. And you're not allowing Jesus, the master healer, to even have access to the problem. This is the picture, not of the world, but of the church. That's not outside the church. It's inside the church. And the appeal of the message is, Will there be anybody sealed? And will I have anybody that could be revealed? And the answer is yes, he's going, to have a, he's, he's going to have a group of people like that. We'll come back to that in a minute. The only hope in the message is to let Jesus in. Allow him to cover you with his robe of righteousness. You need personal protective equipment. You need not your robe of righteousness, not any stitch from you, but you need what only he can provide, his robe of righteousness. It's not by your works you'll get out of this. It's only by his faith. It's only by the faith of Jesus. And can you have the faith of Jesus? Yes. If you open the door. How many want to open the door? You allow his Holy Spirit to help you see. 
There's eye, eye protection. There's, you put your trust in his gold, his faith. Not your faith, his faith. And then it grows. And then what happens? You then become hot or cold. You again become hot and cold. How many of you want to be hot when you're leaving the message today? How many of you want to be cold when you're leaving the message today? How many of you understand what that means? Let's look at it. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. How does one become cold or hot? Let's go to the sanctuary. Remember it says you're supposed to be weeping between the porch and the altar. That was, all, that was the admonition, right? Where was the porch in the sanctuary and where was the altar? What's that? What's that? Okay, the eastern part of the sanctuary. <laughs> you're supposed to not be heading east, but west, towards, towards where, the, where, where the most holy place is. And you're crying, and you're coming to that first altar again. In other words, you've got to go back where you first saw the light. You've got to go back to Jesus. And there's hot and cold in the courtyard. Let's look at the hot and cold in the courtyard. We need hot, cold, hot and cold treatment in the courtyard. Number one, the altar of sacrifice is Christ's fervent love. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he did it all for you. He didn't have to do that. His love for you made him break all quarantine. He came out of heaven. He came down through every single barrier to meet you where you are. And he died for you, whether you know it or not. I read a story this last week about a teacher who was a Bible teacher, and he was trying to get the attention of his class. The class didn't seem to be fathoming what Jesus had done. They were very cavalier. They thought it was just a general education. It was in small, some small college somewhere, and they just took the class because they had to take the class. And he was saying, how am I going to get their attention? And he had one guy in the class who was a very, a very, uh, a very uh, muscular football player, quarterback, in fact, but he also was a theology major. Uh, it's not a school like ours. They didn't understand the non-essentials of sports, but anyway, this is the point. And he said, well, I need your help. Do you think you could do 300 push-ups? Yeah, I don't know. I only have done 200. I do 200 every night. Well, do you think you could do 300? Uh, maybe I could. Yeah, I think I could. Okay, because I have an experiment. I'm gonna, I'm, I need your help tomorrow. So he comes for the experiment the next day. And the teacher brought in a whole bunch of donuts for the class. Again, not a Weimar example. Let's say Topo Burgers. But he brings in this very delectable donuts, all right? And he brings them in. And he says, okay, I'm going to give a donut to each of you. They're all, upset. They're all excited. Yes, the Bible teacher finally has it. He finally understands what's going on. We need donuts. So he goes to the first person. Do you want a donut? Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Okay, Johnny, do 10 push-ups for her. She wants a donut, so just pay the price. So gets the donut. Next one, same thing. Third one, I don't think I want a donut. That's okay, you don't have to have a donut. But he's going to do the push-ups anyway. So just leave the donut there. Well, no, I... Uh, Next person. Uh, well, I, I can do my own push-ups. I'm the leader of the basketball team. I'm just as strong as he is. I'll do my, no, you can't do that. The rules are he does it. Well, then I don't want one. Well, you don't have to have it. Just leave it there. And so forth. Throughout the entire thing. Pretty soon, Johnny starts getting worn out. He's done 200. He's done 250. And now people are realizing that he's having to pay the price whether they take the donut or not. They're having to pay the price even though they, some are rejecting it. Someone walks by and they realize that Johnny's starting to have sweat. He's starting to wear out. He's starting to really hurt. And someone walks by and wants to come in the class. They say, don't come in, don't come in. Because they see that Johnny is struggling. And then it goes on and on. And pretty soon Johnny, Johnny can't do it anymore. And there's not a dry eye in the place. 
everybody's crying because they realize that Johnny really, really was hurting. And the teacher walked up and said, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant, Johnny. You see, that's what Jesus has done for us at the altar of sacrifice. He's paid the price whether or not we accept it. He died for you. Whether or not you accept it or not, he died to pay the price so you could have a sweet existence, so you could sup with him and he with you. <laughs> and don't you think that a God like that is worth loving? Don't you think that? And that's why we need to go back to the altar of sacrifice because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And that's the next thing in the courtyard. There's not only a hot, cold, hot treatment, there's a cold treatment. You go from the fire, and then you go into the baptism. I will die to myself. I'll live for Christ. Yes, it takes your breath away. I used to live this way, but now I'm going into the cold waters of baptism. I'm going into the labor experience. I'm having that treatment from God that says I'm doing things a fully new way and I'm going to resurrect from those cold, that cold grave to be hot again. And if you haven't had that cold experience, how many think that now is the time to do it? How many think that now is the time to dedicate your life, to say, I fully understand what you did for me and I want to die to myself? Yeah, it's going to take all my breath away, just like when you get in the cold shower. In fact, you're going to be dependent as you're underneath that water on the person baptizing you. And it's like saying, my breath is dependent on you. My life is dependent on you. I, I am crucified with Christ. I'm no longer living. Christ Jesus lives in me. How many of you have both the hot and cold treatment of the outer court? I don't want unclean things anymore. I'm leaving the unclean meats out there. I'm moving to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I want to be cleansed. I want to be living for Christ. But that's not all. You move next into the holy place. Hot and cold treatments in the holy place. Is there anything hot in the holy place? John 6, 53 and 63 talks about Jesus. He says, you know, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you know, you're not going to have any part. My words are spirit and their life, John 6, 63. So you can see there at the altar of, of or not the altar, uh, at the table of showbread, what do you have? You have those two stacks. You might say it's Sabbath school and church, I don't know. But you've got, look, I'm going to feed on God's word, and I'm also going to, that's going to be hot bread. It was replaced every Sabbath. I'm going to have that hot loaf. I'm on Zoom this week, but I, I feel that hot treatment of that wonderful bread. But that's not enough. I want that cold treatment. Also, that grape juice that was symbolizing Christ's blood. I want that hot and cold treatment. How many want that hot and cold treatment? And you know what does it say? Your words were found and I ate them and they became the joy and rejoicing of my heart. That is a delicious meal. But then what's it say in Luke 24 when Jesus gave the um, you know, Bible study con concerning himself? What did they say at the end of that Bible study? What did, do you remember what they said? Did not our hearts, what did he say? Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? Look, this is a hot experience when you know Jesus, when you receive Jesus, when you have that outer court experience, 
then you have to keep that alive. And how do you keep that alive? How do you keep hot? You're reading God's Word. Look, there's no better time than to shelter at home with Jesus right now. This is his house. Outside was that outer court. Inside is like his living room. He's got his table with the showbread. He's got his lampstands there to put the light. He's got an incense there. It's like, it's like his living room. Go into his living room this week and feast upon his word. Have that hot and cold treatment. How many want to do that today? That's not all that we see there. Psalm 141, verse 2. I love this psalm. I can't remember it directly, so I'm going to actually look it up. Psalm, uh, let my prayer be incense. I know it starts like that, but I can't remember uh, the rest of it. I actually wrote a song last night to remember it, and I can't remember my song. That's not good. But uh, at least I tried. So Psalm 141 and verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting uh, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What was happening with Laodicea? They are neither what? Hot nor cold. What happens as a result? Their prayer is not ascending. But what's the picture here? Let my prayer be set before you as incense. And the lifting of my hands in the evening sacrifice. Well, how does that happen? Verse 1. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. So look, if you have not been praying, you haven't had a prayer life, you don't have a hot experience, an incense experience, where your hot coals from your prayer life are going over into the very presence of God, what do you do? You cry out. Maybe go out into the woods. Maybe go someplace and spend some time crying out to God. That's the picture that's given here. And then Psalm 55 17. That's morning, noon, and night do this as well. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Um, it is the idea to pray without ceasing. Ultimately, we're supposed to have a prayer life that's just like breathing. Right? In and out. In and out. What makes a prayer life hot? When you don't pray for just yourself. When your prayer leads to something else. You're praying for those who are out of Christ. You're praying for those that don't yet know him. You're praying not just for yourself. That's become neurotic if you look at yourself all the time. You're, you, you know, inspiration tells us, pray, but then seek to answer your prayers. Say, God, use me about, use me in this way. Use me, however you want to use me. What's next? Where's the cold? Where is the cold? We had a little illusion of cold there with the flagon of grape juice, but look at this. Matthew 5.16. What's Matthew 5.16 say? Does anyone know what it says? What's it say? Let your light so shine before men that they may what? See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, to have a hot experience, you don't just eat the bread. You share the bread. You don't just pray. You intercede for others. You lift them before. And then your light shines before men. And they begin to understand more about God. And that oil that was cold when it was put in comes aflame and you begin to burn. You don't just have cold. You don't just have oil. You burn it. You don't just have your devotional life for you. You have your devotional life for others. You don't just pray for yourself. You pray for others. You don't just study for yourself. You study for others. How many of the people on your street do you know? How many of the people in your family that are lost do you know? 
if you don't know them, if you're not working with them, you're not working for them, you're, you're, you're not having the full experience. You're lukewarm. Matthew 10, 42. This is where it specifically talks about it. Look at it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Again, this is repeated in all the Gospels, but right here, Matthew chapter 10, and verse 42. Look at this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of what kind of water? Cold water in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Several times throughout the scriptures, it talks about the snow being cold, but being put down so the harvest can ultimately come. Several times, cold is mentioned as something positive. I know there's many that say it's negative, but no, in this case, it's positive. What does the text say? I would that you be what? Hot or cold. And in this case, cold means to be service to others, to bring them a cool drink. Those who were in need, he would give a cup of cold water and would quietly place his own meal in their hands. How many want that experience of being not just a hot drink, but also a cold drink? This is the hot and cold experience of the holy place. But let's hasten on to the most holy place, hot and cold in the most holy place. What happened in the most holy place? This is where God's law was kept inside the ark. It says in John chapter 15, 10, that Jesus perfectly kept the law. He was like a human ark, and that's what he wants for us. He wants to write his law, not on stone, but on our hearts, not just on the wall, but in our very inner beings. The largest quotation from the Old Testament into the New is Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29 through 34, repeated in Hebrews 8, repeated in Hebrews 10, and it says, I will write my law on your hearts. I will write it on your minds. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. No one has to tell his neighbor anymore because everyone will know me and your iniquities and your transgressions I will, I will blot out. I will, I will, I will, I will, not my will, but Thy will be done. And when you allow him to do that, because you've been at the first altar knowing what he's done for you, because you now are living for him, and now you're allowing him to put that finishing touch on you, he feeds you. He feeds you with manna, hidden manna. We've already talked about that. Well, I guess there was another series. That's the one I did for New Star. But manna and almonds... How many want that hot meal from God? How many want to have that burning experience? But there's something more. You see, when we have the experience God wants us for, we have love in our hearts. Fervent love. Fervent love. The Bible talks about it. A, what's it say in Song of Solomon? A most vehement flame. In other words, we have that zest. Right? Zestos is the word for hot in Greek. We have zest in our life because God's law is written in our heart and mind. But there's, is there water there? Is there a cold treatment? You have to go to Ezekiel's temple to find it. And in Ezekiel's temple, guess what came right from the very throne room of God? What came right from the very throne room of God? Does anyone remember? There was a stream of water 
that came right from the very throne room of God. Jesus died for a broken law, right? He died for you, he died for me. And when he died, blood came out and water came out. And it, and it, and it went all the way down symbolically from the temple, all the way down the Kidron Valley, all the way down, bringing life wherever it went. And it went down to the deadest of the Dead Sea and it brought healing. What brought healing? Hot and cold mingled together. Was Jesus hot? Was he cold? Do you want to be hot? Do you want to be cold? What is the stream source? Under the threshold of the temple towards the east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. So it comes from the right side of the altar. And it's coming down. And we could talk about the right hand and we could talk about what that means. It means literally medical missionary work. The last thing that happens, we accept Jesus. We're justified. We're sanctified. And we give him glory. They see your works and glorify the Father in heaven. They glorified God in me. Galatians chapter 1, the, ver- the last verse. But notice, there's an element of medical missionary work. Acts of the Apostles. Ezekiel's vision at the river of the river of healing is a picture of the work which God designs to accomplish through his what? Through his church, that his name may be glorified. See? Justification, sanctification, glorification. The water represents what God has wrought through his people to bring a blessing to the world. An example would be Joseph, whom God made a fountain of life to the ancient Egyptian nation. It was a result of the integrity of his life that the whole people were preserved. Another example would be Daniel. Through Daniel, God saved the life of of all the wise men of Babylon. You see, these people were sealed and then they could be revealed. How many want to be sealed and revealed? That's the picture that's given. I wish to tell you, Pen of Inspiration says, that soon there will be, what does it say? Read it with me. No work done in ministerial lines, but medical missionary work. No work done what? In ministerial lines. You think you're going to be an itinerant evangelist? You're not going to be. You're not going to be an itinerant evangelist unless you have medical missionary work as a part of it. You think you're going to be a revivalist? Start a revival and reformation ministry? It's not going to happen. Unless you have medical missionary work as a part of it. It's not going to happen. You think you're going to be a musician? It's not going to happen unless you have medical missionary work with it. You think you're going to be a pastor? No, you're going to be a disaster unless you have medical missionary work with it. Guess what happened here at Weimar? We would have been shut down completely, but guess what happens on this campus? We have medical missionary work going on. Medical missionary work. You know what? (laughs) Before another crisis comes, every part of this campus and every part of every one of God's schools should be linked with medical missionary work. Are you taking a degree that's not related to medical missionary work? Think again, my friend. It's time to understand that you need to be hot and cold, and part of that is not just the practical aspects of hydrotherapy, it's being a medical missionary work. How many want to be in medical missionary work for the master? You're saying, what should I do? Where should I go? How should I train myself? If I were you, I'd look as fast as I could to become essential to God's gods. 
We hear a lot about what's essential. What was the number one thing on the essential list? Healthcare workers, right? That was the number one thing. It's essential. And it's almost as if this quotation from Ellen White is now present truth. At least it was for the last three weeks. Yes? Let's go back on memory lane as we're closing and then look forward to the future. COVID-19, hydrotherapy might play a role. And they look back at this review article at Hutchison City, Minnesota. At least 120 people on campus were exposed to the flu. This was back in 1918, all housed under the same roof. So much for social distancing. Although 90 of them developed symptoms, not a single person developed pneumonia or died. Why? Because they knew hot and cold treatments physically. There were no medications available at the time. They all lived when most in the nation, 10 to 20% were dying. What treatment did they give? A regular diet, bed rest, hydrotherapy. And the patients were required to remain in bed and follow social distancing for up to a week after recovery. But this next one really got me, South Lancaster Junior Academy, which is kind of a junior college. Notice what happened at South Lancaster, and this, I hope, wakes you up if you're a young person thinking about what God's calling you to do. If you're an older person in life and say, how can I retool myself? I believe we're living in the end times. I believe there's, there's a judgment, in at least the sense it's revealing whether or not I'm hot or cold. Notice what happened in South Lancaster. While the majority of cases were of a mild type, some were very serious and would have undoubtedly resulted in fatalities. But, read this with me. But, read it with me. But hydrotherapy treatments applied by, what does it say next? What's it say next? Student hands under the direction of one of our physicians wrought marvels in the speedy recovery of the most difficult cases. What was happening in the school? Everybody was a medical missionary. All the students were medical missionaries, not just the teachers. How many think we need a revival of that? Present truth. Doctors who had patients dying day by day marveled at the fact that in our large and crowded dormitories with practically no professional nurses in attendance, we had no fatalities. For ourselves, we attributed under God to the fact that we put in operation the methods of treating the sick, which for years had been part of our denominational belief. How many think we need to get back to the core teachings of the denomination? How many think we need to get back to the pillars? How many think we need to get back to the basics, to the fundamentals? We need to be what? Hot or cold. Because if you're hot or cold, you're sealed. And the sealed will be revealed. Not only are we grateful for the recovery of our sick, what we believe, look at this, underline it, I bolded it, we believe the experience we have passed through as a school has deepened our faith in these God-given principles. If there was ever a time where I believed that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the right church to be in, it's now. If there was ever a question in my mind, it's gone. How many of you can say amen to that? And notice how it says, as many as I love, I do what? I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous. Same word for hot. It's the same root. Hot. Be zealous. Be hot. And therefore, 
and do what? Repent. What's it mean to repent? Change your mind about something. Have you changed your mind about anything during this message or during this last few weeks? Because changing your mind leads to changing your heart. Look at the stream's power coming from Ezekiel 47, sixth volume of the Testaments. Christ came as the great physician to heal the wounds that sin had made in the human family. And his spirit, working through his servants, imparts to what? Sin-sick, suffering human beings, a mighty, you think we need this, a mighty, what's it say next? Healing power that is efficacious for body and soul. How many want to have that? A mighty healing power that is efficacious, that means effective for what? Body and soul. In other words, we need hydrotherapy, hot and cold. In fact, they're doing studies right now in several hospitals. Dr. Nelson, Dr. Steinke, if you're watching, God bless you. We hope that bears fruit. And then even right here, Dr. Ramirez, we're going to be doing a study that documents that for people that look to science, and we do as well. We don't mind peer-reviewed articles. We have many of them coming out here. And that's going to be done and, uh, because we need not only ministry to the body, but also to the soul. In that day, said the scriptures, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanliness. This is speaking of who? That fountain that came from Christ's side. But it's going to be a revival of the gospel, a revival of the faith in Jesus and of Jesus. How many want to see that revival in your own life? And a revival of that very first altar. That's the picture. The waters of this fountain contain, look at this, the waters of this fountain, read it with me, contain what? Medicinal properties that will heal both physical and spiritual infirmities. Look, we need not only the science, we need the scriptures. We need the Savior. And from this fountain flows the mighty river seen in Ezekiel's vision. Where did that river go? All the way from the top, all the way to the bottom, all the way down to the Dead Sea. Now I want to show you a couple, this, this picture, just to remind you of something that's been happening in the news. Have you noticed this? Have you seen this? Have anybody watched and seen any pictures like this? Anybody? What's happening here? What's happening? The healthcare workers are being applauded. The sealed are being revealed. Let me explain what I mean. We live in an interesting time. We're actually told by the pen of inspiration that many people in our church will leave and many others will come in. And guess what I think is happening? I think these kind of people are being revealed. I think they're being revealed. Why do I say that? Remember the first part of the Laodicean message? And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, this is verse 14, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the what? what? The beginning of the what? Creation of God. Somehow in the Laodicean time period, there's going to be a focus on creation. There's going to be a focus on creation. Did God create? Did he Create the earth in seven literal days. How many think he created? Seven literal 24-hour parts. Our church has restated that in our last general conference. Uh, just a hero of that. I, I noticed that uh, uh, Patty and Tower were watching. This, uh, the father died and he was like a great, mighty voice for creation. And at the end of time, God's going to have a people that 
talk about creation, but they also are new creations. And this is the thing that struck me this week, and I mentioned it in the midweek service, I mention it again now. Does religion influence epidemics? Whether they believe in God, evolutionary biologists may need to pay closer mind to religion. That's because religious beliefs can shape key behaviors in a way that evolutionary theory would not predict, particularly when it comes to dealing with disease. Fascinating evolutionary biologist writing. An extreme example of this, he says, that he can't wrap his head around because he's an evolutionary biologist. An extreme example of this is when someone tends to the sick, risking infection, and at least in earlier times, death as a result. A behavior that doesn't make much sense from an evolutionary perspective, particularly if the sick person is not one of your relatives. Uh-oh, uh-oh, evolution is crumbling. These things, says the Amen, the beginning of the creation of God. People are open to creation because they're not really convinced by evolution. What does evolution teach at its core? Survival of the what? Fittest. Well, then why rush off? A person evidently didn't have a strong enough immune system. Why would we want to pass on their genetics anyway? But nobody's saying that. Are they? Are they? Not not many, at least the nurses, the nurses and the doctors, and they're going and taking care of people, and they're revealing in their hearts the love of the Creator. In this article, very interesting, the Christian tradition set by the example of Jesus as healer stands out among all the religious traditions. Helping the sick was one way to ensure a trip to heaven, so risking death for the diseases where the diseases spread was encouraged. Other religions did not promote such extreme altruism. Altruism, self-sacrificing love. Self-sacrificing love is what's being revealed and what needs to be revealed by the sealed. That's really where the rubber meets the road. Did Jesus reveal his love for you? And will you reveal his love to others? The beginning of the creation of God. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And when did he die? What was he doing when he died? Was he hot? Was he cold? He was both. He was giving drinks of water that were cold. He was, he was ministering to people. What was he doing? Medical, missionary work. He was teaching. He was preaching. He was healing. But what he did most was healing. And when he had the ultimate expression of raising someone from the dead, Lazarus, they said, kill him. Kill him. But he poured out his life even after that, right? On the cross. For you and me. Was Jesus hot? Was he cold? He was. How many of you want to be like Jesus? And that's why it closes. Wherefore, henceforth, know we man after the flesh. We know, know we no man after the flesh. In other words, not living by the flesh. The flesh is lukewarm. 
Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, what? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. How many want that to happen in your life? How many want that to happen in someone else's life? And that's the message of the Laodicean church to the message. And what we needs to happen if that's going to happen? We've got to stop socially isolating, spiritually isolating, physically isolating ourselves from who? From Jesus. He's standing at the door. He's knocking. He says, let me in. You're wretched, you're poor, you're pitiful, you're naked, you're blind. You're neither hot nor cold. You're about to be destroyed. Open the door. How many want to open the door? And is there a promise? If you open the door. Yes. You're going to have a most holy place meal with Jesus. I'll sup with you. You sup with me. I'll give you of the living water. And I'll lead you and I'll guide you from this day forward. A day of atonement people. A most holy place people. Who have had the hot and cold treatment of the outer court. The hot and cold treatment of the holy place. And the hot and cold treatment of the most holy place. Let's ask God to lead us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that your purpose was to seek and save the lost like me and like everybody watching. And that you paid the, paid the price, whether they accept it or not. But we pray, God, I pray, God, that I will more deeply accept it and everyone watching today will accept what you've done. Not only what you've done, but what you want to do, wash us and maintain us in that hot, cold experience of the holy place. And ultimately, that true expression of the seal, the hot and cold experience of the most holy place. Make us each, we've come to that time where, the, where every member is called to be a medical missionary. It doesn't matter if they're a physician or a nurse, it's every member. May we understand what that means for us in our current context Maybe it means helping someone who's sick in our family right now. Maybe it means whatever it means. Apply the message, we pray. Make us new creations, renewed creations with you. Guide us, oh, our great Jehovah. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.